Hey, everyone. If you're listening to this and you are not currently subscribed to this podcast, I have a quick request of you. Change that. Please subscribe to this podcast. Um, if you're listening to it, it means you're giving us a shot. I appreciate it. Maybe you've listened a few times. Maybe this is your first episode. I promise you, you'll love it. We would really love if you subscribed on any podcast platform, uh, iTunes, Google, Spotify. We're on all of them. And uh, leave us a review while you're there, and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, this is Alex Rose. I'm Michael Freeman. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. We've got three topics for you today. We're going to be asking, do Jews really need to worry about Rashida Tlaib entering Israel? We're also going to talk about a controversy in Vancouver when a doctor administered assisted dying to a resident of a Jewish nursing home against that home's wishes. And before all that, we're going to be chatting with Dave Hazan, who is a uh, journalist, writer, PhD candidate in history. You may have read his work in Vice, McLean's Foreign Policy, and as of last month, the Canadian Jewish News. Dave wrote an article for us on uh, what it's like being a patrilineal Jew, which means his dad is Jewish, his mom is not. It's kind of a, a unique purgatory in some ways. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, Dave, why don't you say hello? Well, thanks a lot for having me, man. I'm really uh, excited to be here. Uh, Jesse Brown was double booked, so uh, oh, here we are. The, the, the second best podcast hosted by Canadian Jews. Right. Um, so, so just to start things off on, on the topic of patrilineal Judaism, Dave, you wrote an essay for us on what it's like. And before we get too into the weeds on it, I'd love if you uh, read just the first little bit of your uh, essay for us here on the air. Absolutely. When I lived in Seoul, the rabbi at Chabad, Korea, invited me to dinner with some visiting rabbis. Jews being thin on the ground in the neighborhood, I accepted, but warned him ahead of time, I may not be the Jew you're looking for. Are you a Jew? The rabbi asked. Yes, I said, but I'm not religious, and only my father is Jewish. Come to dinner. I did. It was a delightful evening filled with stories of ultra-Orthodox rabbis touring a country that rarely sees foreigners. At the end, though, one of the rabbis, an otherwise very kind Frenchman, took me aside. You must not call yourself a Jew, he said. You must only call yourself a half-Jew. I'd heard this a million times in my life, though it has always irked me. I understand when it comes from a rabbi. He has holy books to follow. What drove me up the wall was when, a couple days later, I interviewed a lay French-Jewish businessman about anti-Semitism in Korea. He informed me that I was not a Jew, would never be a Jew, and should never call myself a Jew. Don't worry, he added. I tell the same thing to my children. Pity the man's children. The rabbis can do as they like within the shul. Religion, I believe, is not meant to be fair, just, or reasonable, which is why I avoid it. But it's a well-trod tenet, at least since the 19th century, that Jewishness is more than religion. It's an ethnicity, a culture, a way of looking at the world. In this sense, I'm as Jewish as any secular Jew out there, no matter which parent it comes from. That's why the case for matrilineal Jewishness makes no sense outside of the shul. In an age of increasing fear over Jewish assimilation, to alienate an entire population of half-Jews, to tell them they are not as Jewish as someone born to a Jewish mother, or matrilineal grandmother, or matrilineal great-grandmother, is absurd. Uh, it's a fantastic essay. We're going to have a, a link to it in the show notes and on the uh, website here, so anyone can read it. To start, I'd love if you could just explain a little bit why it's rough, the sort of double-edged sword about being a patrilineal Jew. 
Okay, so when, when I describe um, how rough it is, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate. Um, I don't think being a petroleum June can in 2019 is exactly a cause for refugee status or something. I mean, it's not a, it's not that, it, it's not a huge deal. But it does get irritating when people tell you repeatedly that uh, you're not Jewish. Um, many people not even claim you're not even half Jewish. You're just a Gentile, a Goy, a, regardless. Um, a lot of it comes around the name Hazan. People don't... Um, many Jews will know where it comes from. Most other people assume it's Arab. And so when they ask about uh, that and I explain, well, no, it's Jewish. And they say, oh, so you're Jewish. I say, well, yes. But then if the conversation continues, <laughs> then we end up in the, uh, so which shul do you worship at? Or um, they find out, you're, or for that matter, they find out your mother's not Jewish. And then it's like, oh, well, my understanding is that means you're not a Jew. And I would hear that repeatedly. I mean, I hear it from, uh, um, don't uh, well, who think they know everything. <laughs> We think they know everything about the subject, but uh, um, may not. I, I've heard it from a lot of very educated people that I can't possibly be Jewish. But you also you get the sort of the opposite reaction from people who skew anti-Semitic, right? That's what you were saying in the like anti-Semitic. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. Sure. They just see your last name as well. Well, right. And no, no anti-Semite is going to uh, no anti-Semite gives a shit whether it's from your mother, or your father. I only hate matrilineal Jews. Exactly. <laughs> I only hate real Jews. You know. Got to be from the mother, you know. Before we lynch this guy, let's get a family tree. It's <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. Um, I went to a school with a lot of Arabs, and uh, I'd, I'd perhaps say like ninety five percent of my time we had a perfectly cordial relationships. Um, but when issues of Israel or other things came up, there'd be arguments and there'd be a lot of ribbing, as you do when you're fifteen, sixteen years old. And uh, when these you know these arguments would erupt, no one's asking me again. You know. Well, I thought your mother was uh, Catholic. Who cares? It's not the, uh, the, the that's not the issue, is it? I suppose on a more serious note, is that the um, uh, the Nazis themselves didn't exactly uh, they, they didn't care whether you were half Jewish or not. I mentioned this in my sorry, that's incorrect. They did care if you were half Jewish or not, but they didn't care which side of the family it came from. So um, uh, when you sort of talk about you know the most ultimate anti-Semitism. It certainly uh, uh, includes people like me, right? And it—it's it, not something I'd ever thought about before that that you have the last name saying I'm Jewish to the people who hate Jews, but it doesn't carry any weight to people who are Jewish who uh, would would judge you in an entirely different way. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't carry any weight unless you're a Jewish fundamentalist who uh, you know produces cartoons about uh, uh, Jewish men marrying. Uh, uh, marrying shiksas being the exact same as uh, the trains rolling into the concentration camps. That's happened. Assimilation, which way do you choose? Yeah, sorry, we, we actually had an article uh, in this last week's paper. Did you read it, Alex? Uh, an essay by a woman in Sudbury? No, I don't think I saw that one. Basically, she was giving the exact argument that, uh, I believe she called it suicide by halakha. Mm. If, if we keep keeping people Oh, that one, out, yeah, yeah, I did. If we keep keeping people out of Judaism, we need to embrace more Jews, especially in Canada. We need to we need to have a big open tent. Well, the point she made was if you have three Jewish grandparents, except for your matril if your maternal grandmother, then you're not Jewish. That's but right. if you have one Jewish grandparent and it's only your maternal grandmother, then you are Jewish. And, you know, it just doesn't necessarily skew with the way we live our lives and everything that Judaism means outside of religion. Yeah, it feels like a very outdated uh, I gotta rule. I got a buddy back in Ottawa, and this kid was the most Jewish kid at the school. And uh, he ended up marrying a, uh, a woman who was half Jewish from her father's side. So they end up having three children 
who are three quarters Jewish, who are raised in a shul, where they, but she had to have them converted. Like she had to go through a process to have the children brought into the religion. So as I said, I'm not terribly concerned about the religion. They have their own uh, rules over there. But as far as the ethnicity and the idea of identifying yourself um, as uh, Jewish uh, goes, that would, I think, should just be equal between the two. Uh, do you know the Guardian Observer columnist Nick Cohen? So Nick Cohen, he's not my favorite guy. He, um, in 2003, he was a major liberal voice for the invasion of Iraq. He uh, brought up the fact that his father is, only his father is Jewish. He never grew up in any kind of shul. He never particularly felt Jewish. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he started writing these columns, he got flooded with anti-Semitic hate because for the sole reason that his name is Cohen, right? And he was forced basically by anti-Semites to essentially identify as Jewish and to begin this sort of process. I mean, I hope it was a, a, a fruitful process for him, but of discovering his, Jew, his, his Jewishness. Yeah. Right. It's, it reminds me of the movie uh, Black Klansman in which the yeah, character sure. played by Adam Driver went through a very similar uh, transformation, right? And and it is kind of through that opposition to a religion that, that some Jews do get closer to religion, right? You find out how many people hate you and you think, well, if I'm on this side, maybe I should explore what that means. Sure. You know, you think the Jewish community would want to accept those people. And I, I think a lot of people within well, the Jewish community do, right? It's not that you don't feel accepted by the Jewish community at large. Or... Oh, no, 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 no. I feel I feel accepted by the vast majority of uh, Jews that I meet. But I mean, I also travel in certain circles. I mean, I wonder if, uh, you know, if I moved to Midtown and uh, my neighbors were Orthodox, uh, would they feel the same way? I, I don't know. Um, but certainly every Jew that I've ever met here in Toronto or elsewhere, with the exception I, of... I don't see you moving to Midtown and having Orthodox neighbors. <laughs> no, I don't see that easy either, but... Uh... <laughs> uh, all my friends, coworkers, and so on, if they do have a problem with me identifying as Jewish, they don't tell me. Something that I started thinking about after I read your essay is that, you know, they say that we use matrilineal descent in Judaism because you always know who the mother is. But the implication of that is that the kind of hereditary nature of Judaism is is paramount. And I just wonder, what is it about Judaism that it needs to be passed down through blood? Or there's an um, kind of expectation that's passed down through blood. What is it that, you know, we're the people of the book in theory. Why does that kind of expectation or restriction even exist? Why would a person with a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother be unable to live as a Jewish person in life if the reverse isn't true, if they're raised Jewish from birth? And I'm, ask anyone who has Crohn's disease and they'll tell you Judaism yeah. is, is hereditary. I, I have Crohn's disease. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's exactly um, right. That's your bloodline. And I know there's, I'm not saying that rule shouldn't exist. I'm not a rabbi. I don't pretend that I should overrule them based on this point. I just thought it was interesting and, and worth like questioning. I mean, there's a lot to dissect there. And I think one of the, um, one of the key things is the difference between Judaism and, Jew and Jewishness. As I said in my essay, I don't want to comment too much on Judaism because I'm, uh, I, I'm not religious. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but um, I would say you have people like Uni Hong, a Korean woman who converted to Judaism. Um, and uh, I've forgotten her name now. It's a black woman from North Carolina who's now a rabbi. Um, but you do have these odd cases where people do convert into Judaism, which is, was unheard of 200 years ago because to convert into Judaism 200 years ago, you'd have to be a complete fucking masochist, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, I mean, you could do it for whatever reasons. Um, Uni Hong told me it was uh, Maimonides who uh, caused her to have this sort of revelation. Or Sammy Davis Jr., perhaps there's a really good example. 
Um, Sorry, for a second, I thought you were saying Sammy Davis Jr. caused her to convert into... Oh, no, well, well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not familiar (laughs) with that one, but uh, the Candyman has a lot of power. Um, I know that, certainly from speaking to Oni Hong and a few others, is that they have a bit of... uh, They do find it difficult to fit in in their shuls. And that's that's not only the case just for those who convert, but for those who, like the Drakes among us, who are um, uh, part Jewish and then part black, or part uh, basically anything but white. Yeah, li- li- listeners of this podcast may remember when we had a uh, Rivka Campbell on, who is uh, a Jew of color, a Jew of color, and uh, she was saying much the same thing about being ostracized in in even in, in progressive Toronto shows. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the first thing. But um, another thing you can do is that there are many many religions which can then substitute for a people are then passed down. So, for example, a good idea would be uh, Ireland. So let's take like an Irish Catholic. Um, even if the family is not devout, even if, you know, they, they don't go to mass, and frankly, even if they don't have any opinion on the Irish conflict, which is unlikely, but um, they will go on identifying themselves as Catholic. And often they'll have an idea, we should have, some, we should have Catholic children, because they're locked in a conflict with, uh, with Irish Protestants. Or at least, even if they're not locked in a conflict, there are two distinct identities uh, existing in Ireland. And the issue, at least not now, is whether or not you're actually attending any kind of service. The issue is who your parents were and what your last name is and what your politics are. Uh, and the same goes for a million countries in the world. It goes for Sri Lanka. It goes for India. It goes, it, you know, an Indian Muslim doesn't have to go to, uh, um, to mosque in order to be beaten up by a Hindu mob. Things like we, that. we live in a very sectarian world. Sure. People, people like, it, like to group people into tribes and into others, and it just simplifies things. Sure. I mean, that's right. It does simplify things. And the problem is is that uh, in this world, these things aren't that simple. I mean, when we were all endogamous, it was uh, it it was simpler. Um, You can look at a community like uh, the Parsis, for example, in Bombay, if you ever think about them, is they're so strictly endogamous, they're going to be they're going to die out within three generations. And that's going to be the end of thousands and thousands of years of Parsi culture. Right. Well, Again, it's a fantastic piece, and anyone who wants to read it, uh, you can find a link to it uh, uh, in our show notes and at cjnews.com. So next up, we're going to BC, where a doctor was recently cleared by the College of Physicians and Surgeons because um, she assisted a resident in dying in a Jewish nursing home, and the Jewish nursing home did not allow that to happen. And um, they issued a formal complaint and the news just came down, I guess, last month that the college cleared her. So there are a lot of things to unpack here. And I know you guys both found the story pretty interesting as well, right? Yeah, well, it presents a really weird uh, conundrum that I hadn't really thought of before, which is here's a man who wants to die on his own terms. Um, he had Alzheimer's, right? And yeah, he had a few things. Well, he had, he'd had a stroke, I think. Um, he had lung cancer. Okay, he was not in good health, and and <laughs> yeah. he wanted to die on his own terms. He was how old again? He was in his 80s, right? He was 83. He was 83, old enough to make a decision for yourself. And mm-hmm. and he was in a home where they don't allow assisted death, mm-hmm. but he wanted it. My first question is, why are you in this home if you want to die a certain way and you know that they're not going to let you? Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't know they weren't going to let him. No, or- they said that... Um- Everyone, they let everyone know when they sign up. Well, and the the result is just this this nightmarish scenario for a doctor who has to literally creep in 
and kill this person. I mean, there's well, you okay. can pretty so, up. The, we can pretty up the way we say it. I'm I'm on board with the guy. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm I'm all for the right to die, but like the optics of it are so bad. <laughs> it's it's a little funny. Well, never minding the optics of it. The fact is, is very few people choose which long term care home they're going to live in. This is a key. This this is the key thing I think that's been left out of this debate. Is it? If there were a whole plethora of choices as to which long-term home you would like to grow old and die in, then yeah, the guy would have had an option. Okay, well, let's move on to another one. I have a father who's 85 years old and has Alzheimer's, and he is on a very long waiting list to get long-term care in Ottawa. Let me tell you now, we're going to put him in any, any reputable home, at least, that is going to take him. Because the fact of the matter is he needs it now. And the wait list is seven to eight years. So um, the idea that this guy should have just waited until a, uh, a spot opened up at a home where they do allow physician-assisted uh, suicide or what they call it now, medically-assisted, uh, there you go, made, medical assistance in dying. Um, it, it, are the rules not, not different when it's a religious institution like okay. this one? Like this is a Jewish home. Right. So, for example, we were trying to get my father into the Hillel house. Um, and the... Uh, these are still, uh, they're still um, nonprofit, government-funded uh, care facilities. For example, this facility they're talking about in Vancouver, I believe they said that it was two-thirds funded by the government. And that's the way I think a lot of these, a, a lot of these homes work. Um, if you're Jewish, then yes, you can get on a list for a, uh, a Jewish home. The same way if you're French, you can get on a list for a French home. And I assume that other uh, religions will also have these uh, um, these rules, but the fact is, is you're only tr you're going to try and get in to the one that will take you first, gotcha. because frankly, it's just not pretty when you're this age, when you're shitting your pants, when you're drooling, when you're you've forgotten who your family, you've forgotten everything that's going on, and you're in constant pain. The idea is just that you're you, you know you're not going to just say, well, I'm going to wait another year to see if I can get into one where they'll help me die. You're just going to go in, and then once you're in, they scrub you off that list. Surely, if if there had been an option of rolling him out and bringing him to a hospital, and then help, and then helping him die there, uh, that that was an option. Sorry, that was an option. That was an option. So yeah, that's the thing. The Lewis Breyer, the home, allows people to do every process of made every part of the process in the home, including the assessment, except for the actual act. I mean, it's good that, that they have that, but at the same time, the man lives in that room. He is a tenant. Now, I understand that uh, maybe it would have been nice of him or nice of the family or something to move it out and to do it somewhere else. But I don't think the onus is on them to decide where he's going to die when he's got his own home. Yeah, I mean, that's where in. it gets interesting for me is people dying on the premises, assisted dying, even if it goes against Jewish law, does it somehow alter the Jewish nature or character of the home? I mean, are people not allowed to have unkosher food in their home? I don't know what kind of rules they have, but if they're living there and it is their own home, which is, you know, it's different than being in a hospital bed. One, does it alter the nature of the home in some way? And two, how much does that matter compared to the rights of the individual? And I really just don't know the answers to these questions, which is why I thought it was really interesting to write about and try to get different people's opinions. For sure. But I, I, I agree with that. It's, it, <clears throat> are you... Are you more a, a member of this greater community or, or do your individual rights, mm -hmm. are, are you allowed to follow them? I think that's absolutely the question. And um, I, I think in, in most cases, what the individual wants, as long as it's not harmful to other people, should override. It does seem to be the way that the, uh, the uh, court ruled in this case, right? They oversaw it like... Well, it was, it was a college of physicians. It wasn't a I'm court, sorry. but yeah. The college of physicians it's ruled in this case. It's basically doctor's court. Yeah. <laughs> the court, in, in any case... Uh, 
agreed with the sentiment, right, is is the idea that that people have individual rights, and if you're not harming anyone else, you should be able to follow well, the them thing regardless is the, of the rules of the house. The law in BC is actually that religious institutions such as Louis Breyer are allowed to have these kinds of rules where they don't allow people to access made on the premises for religious reasons. Do you think these rules are going to change now based well, on your research? So this is reporting? where it could get interesting. It's just like, because, you know, they weren't involved with it. It wasn't any of their employees. It was on their premises, but it's also this person's home. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was a case um, where someone says, they take it to court and they say, we're not asking them to be involved in any way, but we are saying as long as this is my legal permanent residence, I have the right to do what I want if I'm not breaking any laws. And, you know, the religious rule can't stop me. Sounds like a charter challenge to me. Yeah. The problem so. is the people who need to go through that are like people yeah, who are tired. sick and dying. <laughs> and they're just like, they were, I read another article from, about someone who went through the process and who had to leave Louis Breyer to get it. And, you know, they said they made her as comfortable as possible and they considered doing the fight. But she's just like, I just want to die. <laughs> I don't want to fight for the right to die. Like This person obviously felt strongly enough about dying in his mm-hmm. own home. Yeah that he was willing to go through all this and that the doctor felt that it was strong enough that she was willing to, quote unquote, sneak in to the... Uh, she felt pretty good about what she did too. She felt very strongly that she did the right thing. Right. Which makes sense because you right. know, she was able to um, honor his dying wish. I don't think it's it's a clear black and white issue, but I do tend to side with this man. I think that he uh, he does have the right to die in his home. I think, as I said before, I think the argument that, well, you should have chosen not to stay here doesn't uh, wash at all because of the shortage. If he had spent a huge amount of money to go get one in the States, which has no waiting lists, then uh, that would be a completely different issue. Do you think this is going to create a precedent for other people to do the similar things in similar situations, Alex? I mean, I don't know that much about how this could be stopped if it is this person's home and they want to invite the person in. I was talking to uh, Dr. Weave about this. Like, I, is the home allowed to stop their residents from having visitors? Um, so I don't know. Like, in terms of court case, it could go on. And just in terms of people continuing to do this. I spoke to a home in Manitoba that allows assisted dying, a Jewish home. But in the few years since they've allowed it, nobody's actually taken them up on it yet. So it's a pretty rare thing. Yeah, right? I think. So and it, we'll, and we'll given the see. numbers, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it starts tilting in that direction where you give people the option and... They choose whether or not to take it up, and a minority of people will take it up. It'll make a few people very happy, and it really won't impact the lives of everyone else. For our final topic, an ever-evolving issue this week. We are recording uh, at noon on Wednesday, August 21st, so I'm sure some more crazy shit is going to happen by the time you listen to this. On Thursday, it's probably already happened since we started recording. (laughs) I don't even know. Um, This debacle involving two congresswomen from uh, the United States, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar. For those who have not been following this, it's all over Twitter and all over the news. But but uh, I'll summarize it as quickly as I can. Two Democratic congresswomen from the United States, one Somali American, the other Palestinian American. The only two Muslim American. Congresswoman, I think, ever elected to, to Congress, um, they applied to go on a trip to Israel. On Well, in their writing, it was a trip to Palestine. 
They did not want to meet with any uh, Knesset members or any Israeli officials. They mostly wanted to go visit the West Bank, ostensibly visit um, uh, Rashida Tlaib, the Palestinian-American woman's family. Her grandmother still lives there. And, and Israel has a law passed, I believe, in 2017 saying if you support BDS, boycott, divestment, sanctions, you cannot come to Israel. We won't let you. We won't let you come and, and spread this, me- this message here. Both these congresswomen are big supporters of BDS and they were not allowed in. After that, Rashida Tlaib said, well, can I visit my grandmother? And Israel said, yes, so long as you don't say anything political, you can just visit your grandmother. And Rashida Tlaib said, I don't want to visit my grandmother under those conditions. We're all nodding. This is generally a a fair summary of what's been going on. So now it's become a free-for-all. It's spiraled out into President Trump calling Jews who vote Democrat disloyal to the United States. It spiraled out into some nut job right wing commentator calling Trump the king of Israel. A commentator in Israel, right? Oh, no. Oh, Oh, he's in this United States? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Oh, so it was an American calling him the king of Israel? He was like a fundamentalist. I'm not even sure he's Jewish either. (laughs) Oh, I I don't believe he is. No, okay. Um, So so it's, it's, it's spiraling out of control as we speak. The fundamental question we ask on this podcast is, do Jews really need to worry about this? And this is a messy one. Do Jews really need to worry about Rashida Tlaib in Israel? Dave, I know you're a BDS guy. Um, So, well, it's okay. Um, Obviously, I think I know your answer, but do you think Jews need to worry about Rashida Tlaib in Israel? No, it's absurd. I mean, the idea of banning... uh People who uh, support BDS from entering Israel or Palestine is absurd because they'd spell they'd uh, spread their message. If there's anyone who has an opinion on BDS, either for or against it, they're in Israel and Palestine. I mean, the idea that uh, she's going to go there and spread uh, and spread this message to people who haven't heard it is absurd. Um, it's cruel, on the other hand, that they keep her away from her grandmother. And by putting a whole pile of conditions upon it, uh, it's ridiculous. That. Okay, well, you, you can disagree <laughs> with it. But telling someone, okay, well, you can visit our allegedly democratic country, which year after year becomes less democratic, as long as you agree not to say a single thing about politics. I mean, the entire Palestinian posi- uh, position is political. And so to tell her, uh, you know, yeah, you can visit your grandmother, but uh, just keep your mouth shut. Is absurd, but apparently you have a different opinion. Well, I just think it's it's that it speaks more of her intentions if she didn't want to see her grandma at all. Like a big a big part of her her point was I just want to see my grandmother. You know, yeah. I haven't seen her in years. She's her grandma's what like in her nineties or yeah, something. Yeah, it's that's obviously not the priority. If they let you and you say no, I don't want to anymore. No, because it's a matter of. Uh, I... The word I'm looking for. It's a matter of being able to look yourself in the mirror and to be uh, integrity. Uh, it's a matter of integrity and it's a matter of principle. Is the sense that I mean, we all wrestle with these questions of uh, the principle versus doing the exact thing. And the way Tlaib said it was that my mother, my grandmother, wouldn't forgive me if I came here to uh, the West Bank to visit her. And the whole time I'm there, I cannot say a single word about politics. She's a fucking politician. I mean, the uh, it, yeah. it's absurd uh, the, to me that they tell her. And that's uh, why I think she didn't take it is because it's better politics for her to stay and say, oh, look no. how they're muzzling me like this. And they are muzzling her. And look at the politics and, of okay, it. Okay, but the point is, <laughs> look at the politics of it. But I mean, if they don't want to say that she's, if, she, if, if Israel doesn't want her to claim that she's muzzled, then don't muzzle her. I agree. I, I agree. I, okay, on that point, we agree because I think it was a stupid move to bar them in the first place. They're, they're politicians. Agreed. I it, the whole thing would have 
the the bad PR they would have gotten from Tlaib and and uh, Ilan Omar in Palestine. Like if you envision a an alternate universe where they let them in. And there's a few photo ops and a few news articles of these two congresswomen in the West Bank um, saying everything you expect them to say, promoting BDS. I think that PR would have been a lot better than the PR they've gotten by barring them and spiraling this into a whole issue about uh, uh, diplomatic rights and democratic rights and freedom of speech, etc. I think it would have been the lesser of two evils if they just said, yeah, fine, just come on in, make it quick. Neither the U.S. government, neither the U.S. executive right now or the Israeli executive uh, are particularly interested in what mainstream liberal opinion has to say about either of them. They're focusing on a certain uh, right-wing nationalist sectarian um, uh, what's the word? Uh, cohort. Cohort. There we go. Thank you very much. They're, they're focused on that uh, specific cohort. When uh, uh, when Trump says that uh, you know Jews who vote uh, Democrat are disloyal, the vast majority of Jews in in the U.S. and probably in Israel uh, would agree that's nonsense. But Netanyahu and his cabinet are probably applauding it as we speak. What do you think they think of the king of Israel comment? <laughs> yeah, well, that I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but for anyone who hasn't heard um, this, I, I, I don't know if it's a dumb idea to, to spread this message even more, but I do really want to read this. because No, it's, it is pretty classic. It's so weird. It's just so weird. So Donald Trump tweeted this out as of right now, four hours ago. He, he wrote, thank you to Wayne Allen Root for the very nice words. Quote, actually, that was in a quotation too, but then he hit the quotation <laughs> mark again. I think he did. The first one was a mistake. Quote, quote, President Trump is the greatest president for Jews and for Israel in the history of the world, not just America. He is the best president for Israel in the history of the world. And the Jewish people in Israel love him like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he is the second coming of God. But American Jews don't know or like him. They don't even know what they're doing or saying anymore. It makes no sense. I was under the impression we were waiting for the first coming. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an expert on Judaism, but... uh... Okay, so Alex, we've given you some time. Where do you fall on this issue? I agree that I think this was the wrong move strategically. Trump said that you look weak if you let them in. I think you look a lot weaker for not letting them in. But also, I mean, I'm not so bothered that they didn't let them in in the sense that, like, I don't really think Israel is a democracy. <laughs> I don't think I that, I mean, but even if it was, I don't think I'd expect, like, looking at this more from, like, expecting any country, democracy or not, to let people in who don't believe that country should exist. I mean, I think that's a kind of reasonable standard. If there were people who's coming into Canada who wanted to say, like, we're coming here to sow discord and support the natives taking back the land, and Canada said, we're not going to let you in. Now, I think that would be bad strategically, too. Um, I think yeah. this is like a weird principled stance that's dumb, but I don't know. I'm not so bothered by them it, actually so enforcing I, their borders, given that's the system that we live in now. What do you What do you mean? I, I know it, what you mean, Dave, when you say that Israel's not a democracy, but but what do you mean, Alex, when you say it? I mean, it's, I don't know, somewhere between a quarter, a third of the population doesn't have democratic rights. <laughs> I just And they, they claim West Bank as part of Israel, so I don't see how you can have your cake and eat it, too, in that sense. 
Okay, but in in terms of if anything, uh, one one of Israel's problems is that it has too much democracy because they're they're the people that they vote in into the um, uh, the Knesset. Knesset. There's like what twenty parties all vying, all supporting different opinions. Like in some ways, it's too nuanced, and that's partly why nothing ever gets. I don't done. know. I think it might just be that Israel has too many different groups of people who all hate well, each other. I mean, to be honest, like the, I don't know what the, political the, system you could use that would. The issue there is that the um, is that they have a proportional representation system that's. Simply Simply allows for a, someone who gets a very small proportion of the votes to. Um, yeah, uh, but do you think like to, first to past the post seat. would? <laughs> oh no, 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 no! I'm not going to defend first past the post. Okay, I don't <laughs> we don't, saying we don't the need to get them. They have theirs. I know, I, I, I know, but but I just mean I, I I don't know that Israel not being a democracy is is necessarily that fair of a criticism. But we don't need to go down that road right now. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the, Why the difference that I think you just pointed at in, in what you said earlier is is. The distinction between a citizen or resident to criticize their own country and the diff- and and the right for someone else to come in and start well, criticizing yeah, it, um, and I guess there's some attitude that you're that people who aren't even from here, although slave is Palestinian American, but but that notwithstanding, it's it's less kosher, if you will, to to let other people in. Um, I I don't think there are a lot of other countries that have this view but i think israel is always the exception like that this is just what comes up anytime you bring up like is, israel is just always the exception to every international norm because it's israel just because everybody seems to care about it um and so when we talk about israel having the the right or not the right to not allow bds supporters in you know what? It's a unique case example, and we can't. I don't think it's really fair to compare it to Canada, where where the political circumstances are just profoundly different. Yeah, but what if someone tried to come into Canada saying that? I mean, they should probably let them in because they won't get I, anywhere. But. Yeah, I don't. I don't. If you come but, to Canada believing that we should boycott the Canadian they, government what, until what we they, give yeah. land back to the First Nations, I don't think. Yeah, but do you think Canada would be that? like in the wrong for not letting them in? I, I think, think it would be, be in the wrong. I think it would be dumb. But do you think like? Sorry, if I could say, Canada has allowed people. No, I, into I know. The I think. I think they should. Cr- who are plain revolutionaries who believe in an uprising of? Yeah. If not the sure. First Nations and at least the working yeah, class. Yeah, because I think or, it would be really others. dumb if they didn't. Right. But, I mean, yeah. it, it's a. Like, secondly, as far as goes to uh, criticizing other countries, I mean, un- under international law, Israel has the right to control its own borders. Every country does. We always criticize other countries. Yeah. I mean, how much time do we spend? How much time does the Israeli government spend criticizing Iran? Right. You so know, the difference. So we but, can't but have again. Uh, the difference is in the. Uh, and I, I realize BDS is a multi-multifaceted, uh, fractious kind of entity where you can say you're a BDS supporter and merely support boycotting them in order to to put political pressure on them for a two-state solution. You can be a BDS supporter and believe that the right uh, that Israel does not have a right to exist right. as as a covenant does. And so my understanding is I'm, I'm just to give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit is when they say if you support BDS you can't come in, they're really talking about people who believe Israel should not exist. Rashida Tlaib, or sorry, Elon Omar technically endorsed a two-state solution in her Washington Post op-ed a few months ago. And what does Tlaib said? I mean, we, we're asking what Tlaib is banned, Omar is banned, for what? For supporting BDS. Okay, well, what does that mean? Where is the, like you said, it's a multifaceted thing. What do they want? Do they want, you know, the Jordan and Egypt to roll tanks into Tel Aviv? Or do they want, like, a peaceful two states or some kind of confederation or a single state where everyone uh, uh, has equal rights? Um, all of these are options, we, and none of them are uh, – uh, I've always had a hard idea with this concept of that the state of Israel does not have a right to 
people who claim that the state of Israel does not have a right to exist. No state has an intrinsic right yeah. to exist. <laughs> the purpose of a state is an institution that we have created to serve us. And if that state is a problem, then you reform the state, you change the state, whether it's the Canadian state, the Israeli state, the Chinese state, or whatever. I mean, what is this this state? I mean, you're that sort of conflating that idea to with exist. It's the idea of the Jewish people have a right okay. to a homeland. So, that's, that's do the, the Jewish idea. people have a right to to be in Israel? Certainly, to to be in the land that is now Israel and Palestine. Certainly, just as the Palestinians have the right to be there, they have an equal right to that land. And I don't believe in this whole like, well, we go back this many thousands of years. Well, we go back this many thousands of years. Well, <laughs> Palestine is a Greek word. Well, who, who gives a shit? Yeah. The, uh, the answer is there's two groups there and none of them, well, there's several groups and none of them are leaving. So uh, BDS for me is a way just to put pressure on uh, the Israeli government to come to a solution. Right. Now, if that is what Ilhan Omar and the Rashida Tlaib are, are arguing, I mean, it's absurd not to... Uh, to allow them to continue. I keep using this word absurd. I think it's it's like, <laughs> I think it was an absurd decision by the Israeli government. But like, I, I just, I, like, it, like it was, I think it was probably pretty predictable. Like it wouldn't give them the kind of press that would be good for them. Um, I don't know. There's just so many other things that I, <laughs> that actually, that Israel does that bother me quite a bit more than this, even so. Oh, well, I mean, the, uh, like, I think among, this, among the list of Israeli crimes, I don't think it's number one, no. No, I mean, I think this is bad strategically, but it actually, I mean, you know, values in terms of, like, free speech and open-mindedness, maybe it doesn't aspire to those in the best ways, but it, it honestly doesn't upset me in the sense that, like, like from a principal point of view, it just I just think it's dumb. Yeah. I just think it's strategic. we're also seeing, I mean, aren't we seeing a pattern in Israel now where it's much less open, much less... Uh, well, open or, or promoted free speech when, um, I forget the guy's name, but uh, Netanyahu's son goes on and says, you know, if you're left wing in this country, you're a traitor. Plain yeah. Simple. Yeah. And that uh, many, many, many people agree with that sentiment. Trump would be one of them. Trump would be one of them. Uh, something the, almost I, I, think the, I think the prime minister would be one of them. Yeah. Uh, the prime minister of Israel. And um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah. And it just continues to get worse and worse with the NGO laws, with the uh, who they allow into the country, and not least, and most importantly, with the treatment of the Palestinians. We can't spiral this into, no, uh, <laughs> into, whole, into this whole debate. But, but suffice it to say, the central question, do Jews need to worry about Rashida Tlaib simply being in Israel or Palestine? I think at least at the very least, notwithstanding any kind of BDS uh, support one way or the other, we all agree the answer is no, and that it probably, if anything, would have been better if they simply let these women in. Yeah. Let them uh, do their little tour, have their talks, and they try gave them a to... much bigger platform by not letting them in. I agree with that because it just it amplified everything. And, and when you turn these situations into an us versus them, which, which both uh, the current Israeli and American governments love to do, disloyal versus loyal you know, good versus bad. Um, it just makes things so much fucking harder. Oh, yeah. Well, for a lot of people, it actually makes it much easier because it, it, it draws the line so clearly and easily that you can just say, well, disloyal or loyal. You don't need to think. Right or wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks very much to listening to another episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. My name is Michael Freeman. I'm Alex Rose. And we host this together. I edit and produce this podcast. 
Our intro music is by Vanya Zhuk. Our outro music is by Lache Swing. And our promotions are handled by David Collin, who is also our Gator Wrangler. Thanks this week to Dave Hazen for coming on. Thank you. Uh, Dave, where can people find you if they want to read more of your stuff or hear yep. your thoughts? Head off to DaveHazan.com for uh, all the old stories, and you can follow me on Twitter at DaveHazan. One last shout-out to the CJN Prize. If you have not yet submitted, you should do it now. It's an essay prize open to writers between the ages of 18 and 29. Submit an essay on a Jewish theme, and you could win money. You can email your submission to the CJN Prize at thecjn.ca. If you like this podcast, please subscribe anywhere you're listening to it and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. See you next time.